0: Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your Weekly Geeky Squeak, with me, Chris Chinchilla. Sorry for the uh, slightly late release this week. I had food poisoning earlier in the week, and I was very, very sick. I couldn't really do anything apart from lie around feeling sorry for myself. And I'm also on the road, currently uh, cat and house-sitting for a friend in Italy. So I'm on my portable microphone, so not quite the audio quality we normally have. And there's a train line behind us. So yes, a combination of uh, problems there. Anyway, let's get started. I have a few links to share with you. Quite a uh, tech-heavy episode this week. I have a few links to share with you, and then an interview with uh, Reda from the Kai Foundation. Uh, a little project I saw some time ago at the Malta Blockchain Summit. But it, it takes me a little bit of time sometimes to get through all the cards I get given at various events. And it's taken me this long to get around to it. And they have a, a, a blockchain-powered, although quite what that means, we had to dig into a little bit and then what it actually meant got kind of interesting so uh, listen to the interview later to 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 find out some more details on that their blockchain powered kind of voice assistant for well at the moment for hospitality for hotels but who knows where it could be used in the future enabling people to pay for all sorts of things in their hospitality experience and also kind of have the device make make money for people as well. It was an an interesting idea, but more of that later. First, let's get started with some links. First, an interesting post from a regular on the Weekly Squeak, Stephen K. Vaughan Nichols on ZDNet. And Gnome and KDE. Gnome and KDE are two fairly well-known Linux desktop um, interfaces, windowing managers, whatever they exactly call themselves, I'm not 100% sure. But one of the main problems with Linux has always been fragmentation, or one of the biggest positives, depending on your perspective, the fact that there are so many options to choose from. It's quite dizzying sometimes. Even Linus Tolvald, the creator of Linux, has said that fragmentation of different vendors has held the desktop back. But interestingly, Gnome and KDE are coming together to sponsor the Linux App Summit in Barcelona in November. It's not the first time they've worked together, um, but it's the first time they've ever run an event together. And they're kind of eager and encouraging the communities to come together to build an application ecosystem that transcends individual distributions. Uh, this is also been tried by Canonical with things like Snaps. We'll see how it goes. I sometimes wonder with... Um, especially with open source communities, if people actually want community collaboration and unity or if they like having many different standards. There's arguments on both sides and uh, I've often changed my opinion on whether fragmentation is better or whether standardization is better and it kind of depends on your perspective. But I, I think the main point I take from uh, KDE Communications' Paul Brown added that the desktop war is not really a thing anymore, which is actually quite true. I think uh, Linux, as I wrote in a post some time ago, has kind of won the computing war, if not the desktop war. And next, I always love an article on computing history. This is from Jake Rossen on Mental Floss, uh, an article on an oral history of Nintendo's Power Glove. This is a perfect opportunity for me to promote the first episode of The Enthusiastic Amateur, where I interview Sinclair Target from the 2-Bit History blog, and we talk about lots of stories from computing history. This is a post worthy of his blog actually. I love these sorts of stories because sometimes these devices that were or weren't successful sometimes have the most interesting origin stories. Um, and the Power Glove was fascinating. If anyone is old enough to remember it, it came from 1989 so there might be a fair few of you who don't. It was an $8,800 NASA approved interface glove running a quarter of a million worth of hardware. And then uh, the challenge was to make that work uh, for $26 <laughs> in nine months. And this is the funny thing. We think about crazy deadlines and budgets in computing now, but actually they're probably nothing in comparison to what they used to be in the past when they were a lot tighter. It talks about many reasons that the device was successful or failed, and it kind of was successful and failed in almost equal measure, depending on where you look. Um, ill-conceived, uh, too many proprietary games, uh, it couldn't cope fast enough with uh, reactions. Reactions and interactions had to be configured and manually configured, like kind of with modern computing, hardcore game simulators and things like that, but not really in those days. Um, and I guess it was just all too much work for too little return, I suppose. And this is a fascinating little interview with, um, about half a dozen people who were involved with the whole process of creating it. Uh, and the mistakes they made, the uh, challenges they faced, how they got round them, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that sort of thing, and also how I think how successful everyone thought it was going to be, how this was going to be what everybody wanted, and I don't think anyone even re- well, I suppose we're starting to get this ability to use your hands now, and of course years later came things like the Wii, even um, VR headsets with the controllers they have do it in a more abstract way. Sometimes you know we have this fantasy science fiction idea of what an interface should look like, but then actually what it ends up being in the long run is not what we expected, but is fundamentally better. I strongly recommend, I recommend this book a lot. I don't think I've ever recommended it on the podcast. Though. This book called uh, Make It So, a, a book on science fiction interfaces and how they have influenced um, real world interface design and vice versa. And I can't remember if there was something on the power glove, but I could feel like there was because it feels like a story like that influenced by sort of futuristic VR cyberpunk films, but fundamentally it just didn't really work (laughs) because science fiction is not the same as reality. I hate to disappoint you. So if all of this interests you, then go and take a read. Next, I have covered uh, this topic a long time ago. Um, This is from CNN from James Griffith. This is a post entitled, The global internet is powered by vast undersea cables, but they're vulnerable. And this topic always fascinates me, because if you actually look at a map of undersea cables that basically connect the backbone of the internet, there's not that many, and they are very vulnerable. And we rely on them. We have seen many cases when one has been uh, vandalized or more likely just damaged, and certain countries lose their internet access. But the reason why I find this most fascinating is my grandfather was actually responsible for laying some of the, uh, the first versions of these, the copper wires that were kind of the precursor to the modern optic fibres we have. And the thing was, I actually was never particularly sure um, what ship or what the project he worked on was. And this article actually covers it. So um, where is it? In 1956, Transatlantic Number 1, TAT-1, uh, the first underwater telephone cable was laid. And I'm guessing that was the project my grandfather was involved in. That would make sense. So it was quite interesting to hear that. That, And when I looked that up on Wikipedia, I very much confirmed that. I found the company he used to work for, which is a company called Submarine Cables, which is now owned by General Electric or Marconi, or I can't even remember anymore. But yeah, and that was that struck a particular chord to me because actually reading this thing that he was involved with too. This, um, article, uh, the latter part of it gets into a little bit of potential kind of conspiracy theories and things like this, but most of it is kind of interesting about how the cables are built, how they're laid, the vulnerability of them, why, uh, certain companies like Google and, uh, even Facebook are laying their own cables so that um, their services are not disrupted, which is also quite fascinating. I also just finished reading Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson, who covers some of this kind of as well. So it's always strange how sometimes these various topics come together to um, to in a weird series of coincidences. And then, of course, we get into the modern story, the modern equivalence of this, the, the 5G infrastructure that is sort of in progress right now with companies like Huawei. And again, we come up with this issue of if we let companies instead of independent bodies whatever that means lay the infrastructure that we communicate through then how secure is it really um and that's a difficult question and apart from the the sabotage issue i'm not 100 sure if anyone ever brought this up with the submarine cables i don't know um yeah <laughs> we we rely on them all the time pretty much the vast majority of internet bandwidth goes through them. And yet I wonder if anyone's ever challenged the security of those. It's pretty hard to to check, really, when they're in the middle of an ocean somewhere. Anyway, I always find this stuff fascinating. It's always interesting to know you know, all this technology we use now and how much it still relies on a few dozen big, thick cables lying at the bottom of the ocean put there by ships. And finally, in my link section, a blog on refraction tech by Mayokunea. This is actually from a couple of years ago, but it popped up in a, in a feed for some reason. I, this is probably a change now. How Netflix works. The hugely simplified complex stuff that happens every time you hit play. You can tell this is slightly out of date because it's talking about the releases of House of Cards. When um, the release of House of Cards is possibly a of an embarrassment now um, than then an amazing revelation for Netflix. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But um, Netflix are responsible for creating things like microservice architecture, or at least putting it in practice, if not creating the the design principles anyway, of um, revolutionising the kind of widespread use of cloud computing, of CDNs, of global delivery. And let's face it, most of the time, Netflix works pretty well, no matter where you are and what sort of connection you have. And this post goes in, in a very abstract way into some of the ways that works and I would have liked to actually read a bit more detail but maybe they couldn't go into that detail but um, still very interesting and if you're a fan of Netflix or Amazon Prime and they do actually mention this because Netflix runs predominantly when the post was written on AWS infrastructure and of course Amazon have their own uh, video streaming service but much like Samsung making screens for for Apple but business is still good business. Uh, if you're selling to your rivals but still making a profit, then that's okay. And that was my links for the week. Just a few. I say I've been a little bit sick. I wasn't able to keep an eye on the news as much as I would really like to. And now, as promised, my interview with uh, Raider from the Kai Foundation. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, I'm a serial tech entrepreneur. Um, I have created several uh, tech businesses Uh, the latest to date before the key foundation uh, was called square break we used to we created a technology that made the property management business scalable so basically a property manager was able to deal with 10 to 12 properties by himself and thanks to our technology the hospitality operating system, they were able to deal with 40 to 50 properties. So basically this this, uh, company grew very fast. We raised 3 million euros in February 2016. And then we got acquired uh, in August 2017 by Accor Hotel, uh, which is uh, the European leader in hotels, hospitality industry. And uh, six months before the acquisition, I started looking at Uh, our um, fleet of homes in Europe. We had 800 homes and I was looking at those properties with idle resources not being used, Um, only used three to four months in a year. And I started thinking of a distributed way of sharing resources. Um, So this is where the thinking, the idea of the key foundation started. So basically what the key foundation is doing is that we are deploying a decentralized mesh network infrastructure that lives on top of a hardware that we created and that we distribute in the hospitality industry. So basically what we provide to the hospitality industry is a device that helps them operate better, sell more services, make more revenue, and optimize their operations. And at the same time, that device is kind of a small but powerful server with a 512 gigabytes SSD drive, computing power, bandwidth, um, multi-level uh, wireless communication protocols, and can be used to be leveraged by the applications of the blockchain industry, such as Torch, SIA, um, Kudo, or any other company that wants to have a really decentralized infrastructure that is reliable and sustainable. Um, so this is basically what we do. All of these businesses, all of the value that is created in the hospitality industry or the decentralized infrastructure area is valued through one proxy, which is the key token. And uh, so any kind of services that is bought in the ecosystem has a 15 percent commission. Uh, So people pay in fiat, but those 15 percent commission are being used to buy key on the market and pay back. the validators, the customer, and also the service provider. So we created a way of pouring on the key token uh, real-life business value uh, that will actually uh, grow its uh, underlying uh, through time. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think when I encountered the, the product, which I think was at the Multi-Blockchain Summit, Uh, I think, Um, it also struck me as maybe, which is what interested me, but maybe I got it completely wrong as uh, a voice interface as well, or did I get that completely wrong? No, absolutely,
1: it's a voice interface. So basically to be able to sell that device and sell the service in the hospitality industry, we created a device that looks like a smart assistant. And one of its feature is being a privacy preserving smart assistant. And we work with a company called Snips that provides us that technology layer of privacy-preserving uh, uh, smart uh, assistant. And this is one of the one of the very interesting features for the hotel industry because, thanks to that, you can interact with the device and have better access to service and also to room automation, uh, like switching off and on the lights, setting the temperature of the room. Uh, putting on the TV or any, uh, TV channel. So this is basically the kind of things that, uh, you can do with the voice, but it's only one of the features of our device. The other features are more about operations because we are interconnected with all of the specifics of the hospitality industry and also, um, visual interfaces that, uh, lets the guests, uh, buy more services through them.
0: Yeah. And, I've seen I've actually seen uh, a few voice interface companies aim at the hotel industry. I must admit I've never stayed in a hotel that has one. I probably don't stay in the right hotels, but um it seems to be something that a few people are trying. And let's just ignore the blockchain aspects for the time being. Um but uh, is this am I correct there? Is this something that quite a few people are trying with more high-end hotels, this sort of I guess, replacing the traditional phone to the front desk kind of experience?
1: Absolutely. There are some competitors that are uh, trying to do this kind of stuff. To be completely uh, honest, the hotel industry is not uh, our main focus the same way as the property management industry is. But it is for us a very interesting market because we are getting... Uh, inbound uh, from the hotels that want to install our device. Um, but basically what what we do is that we're not overselling what we do. Uh, some of the projects, some of the uh, technologies that we've been seeing that provide that kind of device sell themselves either as a replacement of the phone or uh, like uh, a tablet would be also in a, in a property. But this is not at all the kind of positioning that we have. We are more integrated and and have been thinking of the whole guest experience uh in a hotel room uh, for hotels and 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 we also are very interconnected to uh, uh, some specific use cases for the hotels that are interesting for them. But also one of the very interesting things is that this is not our end game. This is our first market. Uh, because we have a very unfair advantage through our contacts, connections, and and uh, uh, my previous company being acquired by the largest hotel group in Europe, uh, that's actually bootstraps our deployment. The real end game is to be the first builders
0: of the highways of the decentralized internet. So you mean highways as in terms of a a, a device, or what do you mean by highways, specifically there? So it's the infrastructure. So we we are building the roads that Storage,
1: SIA, Theta, Kudo, and all of these other uh, businesses are going to use um, to provide their their services, such as decentralized storage or decentralized CDNs or decentralized uh, uh, file systems. This is actually, we are providing this infrastructure. And, And the good thing and interesting thing is that the hotels and property managers are subsidizing this infrastructure because they are buying it for a specific reason. Um, and at the same time, we are providing uh, those resources to, to, to the masses of the blockchain industry. We do think that there is still uh, three to four years uh, for the blockchain industry and also the, the industry of decentralization to be very mature. But at that time,
0: in three, four years, will be the biggest infrastructure out there. Okay. So let's let's ask the always obvious question I mean and to be hand on heart I am actually uh work myself sometimes in uh blockchain ecosystem i am kind of involved with it um but I'm always pragmatic about it so let's ask the obvious question first why blockchain so uh,
1: that's that's a very good question uh, because a lot of people a lot of people talk about blockchain and talk about uh crypto and tokens, uh, and they don't even know why they're doing that. Um, Just to give you where we came from before we started talking about blockchain, we were talking about privacy preserving distributed systems for uh, sharing of resources. This was actually the way we were thinking about what we were building in 2016 before uh, we even started talking about blockchain. Uh, but the very interesting thing is that what we were trying to build without blockchain was permissioned. Uh, and what we wanted to be able to do is to be more than a very private, private network that will provide this infrastructure. So the, the first devices that will provide the infrastructure will be our devices, but we want anyone to be able to provide this infra. So we had to be permissionless. So there we started talking about consensus protocols. And when we started talking about consensus protocols, like PBST and everything, then we we got our minds into blockchain and looking at how um, blockchain technologies, not only blockchain, because when you you say blockchain, it's more about the way you store data with the chains of blocks. Um, But it's more about how you deal with consensus, how you're able to say that a node is not a malicious node and and actually provides value to the ecosystem. So this is the first part. So how blockchain, uh, the storage method is being used in our ecosystem. It's being used to store the reputation uh, and actions of the nodes and to be chosen in rounds of validation. So if you look at our white paper and yellow papers about decentralization, and proof of reputation consensus protocol that we created, thanks to some uh, really well-known scientists that worked on hyperledger fabric, for example. Um, Blockchain is important to track the behavior of the nodes, but it's more about the technologies of decentralization that are important for these decentralized infrastructure devices. Um, The second part is why, actually the very good question is why crypto? Why a token? Why should we use a token when people could just pay in fiat? That is actually a very uh, important question. I do consider that marketplaces and capitalism uh, kind of uh, are f- rigged. And uh, the more, the more you, you, you work towards creating an ecosystem, if you have a company that is based on pure equity and only equity, your decisions, when you have investors that are on board in your company, will always go towards centralizing value into the equity. And I consider that this is really wrong when you want to build an unstoppable, unkillable ecosystem. So basically what we did, and this is very unique uh, right now, only, only, uh, some uh, companies in the blockchain industry really did that, is that there is no equity in our company. We, we are fo- as founders, do not have equity, do not own equity. It's a foundation that holds an operating company, and our only incentive and the incentive of the investors is through the token. So basically, we created a smart money, which is the proxy of all the value and transaction of the ecosystem, So we all, founders, investors, and actors of the ecosystem are aligned to where the value should be, which is the token. And this is one of the reasons why we have a token in the ecosystem, because we do consider that this utility token is being used to exchange services and value in the ecosystem. And at the same time, its value will reflect the value of the
0: ecosystem. So maybe let's let's uh get back to the the user, as it were. I mean you, you have this current example of hospitality, but um here okay, let let's stick to hospitality for now and then we'll go from there. So what will people what what will people be able to do with the device and the network? What what are the use cases you hope to 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 give people?
1: So, um we have a very clear video about that when we show where we show the usage of the device in the in a hotel uh, so but basically, what you can do when you have that device in a room, you can actually manage the room uh, through voice uh, switch on, switch off the lights, set the temperature at a certain value uh, uh control some of the devices' smart devices and appliances in in the room um, And also at the same time, the device is connected to the TV and you can have your Spotify account or Netflix account that you can watch anything you want on the TV. And it's also connected to the services of the hotel and you can automatically with voice or uh, just by browsing uh, with the the remote control, uh, the room service, the spa services. And we actually have some really interesting metric is that we multiply by three the room service ordering uh, thanks to the device, which is a very interesting thing for the hotels. And also it's one of the best experience that people could have into ordering services in a hotel through through our device.
0: Okay, and then I guess when people start doing the ordering, that's when the token comes into play. Absolutely, there is a 15% commission that is taken from any
1: order. And those 15% commission uh, are taken in fiat, if you pay in dollars or euros or anything like that, and buys back tokens on the market and split into three ways uh, to the guests uh, as a cashback in key tokens, to the hotel as a, an additional revenue uh, in key tokens, and also to the validators as a transaction fee. When the validator block that contains this transaction, they get 5% of the transaction as a transaction fee payout
0: and um so after hospitality, what are some of the other use cases you're looking at um you say you want to create the highway like what's what's the other stops on that highway highway what 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 comes after hospitality
1: um
0: we we don't know
1: uh we ha- we we have we have many markets that are uh knocking on the door retail uh telcos and uh and also healthcare, uh, but we don't want to lose focus right now. We're putting all of our energy in the hospitality market. Uh, I think that it's it's going to be something that will be what well, that will become uh, an evidence. It will not an evidence. An evidence is in French. Uh, like it's very very obvious. It will be obvious for us that this will be the next market. But right now, uh, we are really really focused on the hospitality market.
0: So when you order food, for example, you're you're identifying here as potential partners or maybe current partners, something like Uber Eats, so delivery to um the hotel, I guess, and then you also mention chauffeur service and things like that so how how does the payment work? Are you still um paying the hotel, or does someone somehow authenticate with the device when they enter the room how How does it become personalized to me, I guess?
1: So uh basically when you're in a hotel, uh you the, the device gets provisioned with the with your account, uh that is a temporary account. And depending on the kind of hotels, should could it be four on five stars, they actually uh pay for you for some services until you get into a certain value of services and then they call you and tell you, hey, uh you should pay your bill before you can get more services. Ah, uh, this is the first uh, way, and then there is the payment with credit card. You just pay for uh, your services with the credit card. Right now, we we don't have any deals with the with the uh, Uber Eats or or this kind of uh, applications. Um, it 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 will go through their classic uh, kind of payment uh, platforms. But we do have some deals with some apps that do uh, transfer services also room service uh, ordering, and they actually use our SDK called KeyPay that actually enables us to have uh, an end-to-end payment system uh, that gets the money and also the commission when people pay with credit cards. But the mo- most of the services are actually being paid by the hotels.
0: Okay. Okay. So there's, there's. I mean, I guess I was just, there's no, you've got no notion of having to somehow uh, add my public key to the device or something like that. Not in the. It's not, there's no traditional blockchain kind of um process going on here. <laughs> no, and 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 you know what? We do consider that blockchain
1: crypto should be considered as TCP/IP for the internet. You shouldn't see it. You should actually benefit it from it, but not have to do the technical stuff of it to 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 get the the reward of it. So so we try. Actually, you, you never hear about blockchain or crypto when you use the device.
0: And then the token itself, I mean, um, is the token also uh, a way of you raising revenue, like in a, a sort of token sale? Or what happens with the tokens, like the tokens the foundation has, the tokens, the say, the uh, the hotels have? You know, do they then um, have to take them to an exchange to sell them or something like? What actually? How does the token function in the network?
1: Yeah, I, I actually like uh, your questions because it's very practical and it's really important. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been
0: working in the blockchain long enough. I have to ask practical. <laughs> um, it's
1: it's actually you're right. Uh, it's a way for us to raise uh, raise money because this is we don't have any equity to sell. So basically, people that want to get a piece of the ecosystem, because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about an ecosystem, not, not a, a company. Uh, they buy tokens. Um, and, uh, the use of the token can be to buy more services in the ecosystem, or you could stake them. Uh, if you stake them, you gain reputation over time. And the bigger, the bigger your reputation, the bigger your chances to be chosen in a round of validation and get payouts uh, for securing the network. So this is, this, it's actually a work token uh, because uh, you stake the token, you secure the network and you're paid for that through real life uh, transactions that happens in the hospitality market and also in the decentralization industry, blockchain applications, yada, yada. Um, on the other side, uh, we have actually a fixed supply, initial supply of 800 million tokens we are just right now selling 35% of the supply in a private sale um, uh, and raising, uh, raising actually $7 million for that. Uh, and uh, what's happening is that the supply that the foundation keeps uh, will never be used to pay salaries, <laughs> which is a complete difference from what all the blockchain companies do. We, we actually have a very healthy business model because those devices, we sell them and we have a very interesting and healthy margin by selling the device. We also sell services, monthly, monthly subscription services per device, per month. And the third thing, there is the, the uh, commission, the 15% commission transaction fees uh, in the ecosystem. We don't get that money because it goes to the ecosystem. It goes back to the ecosystem, but it actually grows the value of the token over time. So basically, uh, the plan of the tokens is not to be um, sold to finance the teams. It's to be sold, to distribute it to more people because we want actually a bigger and bigger community being incentivized in tokens um, to get into the ecosystem. The bigger the ecosystem, the harder for competition uh, it will be to to actually uh, take over our customers or
0: our business. So with regards to the device, I remember seeing one at the, the summit last year. Um, do you have these in prototype now? Uh, is anyone trialing them anywhere? Uh, yeah, what's the status of the, the device and the network?
1: So the one that you saw last year was the pre-industrial uh, prototype. And now now we are have industrialized the device. We have pre-sold five thousand and two hundred devices, and we are installing
0: the first three hundreds in the next couple of weeks. And is that mostly in, in France or in some other places as well?
1: So it's in France and in Morocco. <laughs> I'm actually currently I'm in Morocco, uh, and we have many big deals that are going to be announced
0: uh, pretty soon. And I mean, how does that look? How does the setup look from the? Uh the the hotel's perspective do they have some kind of you know some kind of extra access like a management portal or something that they reset a device every time someone checks in and checks out or
1: yeah everything everything is automated everything is automated okay they do have a
0: portal hooked up to their booking system or or something i guess or i don't know exactly Exactly. (laughs) exactly it's 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 actually
1: connected to their pmss
0: okay cool and have you had any feedback so far about how people are finding it? So we have installed the first uh,
1: devices that didn't have any visual interface in the beginning of this year, uh, in January, February. The the feedback was interesting uh, because they actually liked the fact to be able to to uh, manage the, the room control, you know, temperature and, and lights, you know, what a pain it is when you're in a hotel and you're trying to switch off all the lights, but you don't find the the switch for that last light in the room. So this is the kind of service that is really that was really cool for them, but it, we didn't at that time with V1.2 of the device, we didn't deliver uh, the value of the additional service. So we iterated and we created the whole new interface, et cetera, et cetera, and now it works perfectly. Um, we have very, very good feedbacks in terms of interactions, in terms of services, either from the hotels and also from the guests, which is which is a very really good thing for us.
0: And so uh, digging into the technical side a little bit more, I'm guessing the fact that you have someone who used to work there, you're probably using Hyperledger as a blockchain, or am I wrong?
1: Yes, uh, uh, Sonia Benmokhtar actually uh, built uh, the PBFT algorithm uh, for Hyperledger Fabric. So, and she's the one who, she's the one who created proof of reputation, uh, for, for the key foundation. Um,
0: and uh, I mean, I have dug a little bit into hyperledger, but I guess it's the most well-established, uh, blockchain network that gives you private networks, some kind of access levels, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. Things you will need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, how have you found bearing in mind that I, I guess you come from a, uh, a more traditional technology background? How have you found building a a technology platform, SaaS product device on top of blockchain versus just doing it the old-fashioned way? Is there ever a time you wish you'd just maybe taken a more traditional route or has, has it been okay?
1: Um, actually... Um... There are two things that we added in our methods uh, as uh, developers and also leaders uh, in in the company is that first thing is privacy and security first. So this is actually one of the biggest challenge that we had because privacy first is thinking about how you build high value services without compromising the, the, the data. And by thinking that at any kind of times or moments, uh, the personal data of the user uh, uh, could be no longer be linked to the user. So, so it was really interesting uh, because we created this by thinking about being uh, privacy first uh, and also security first. Uh, this was this was the most challenging part. Uh, the second thing is the interconnection with the blockchain. Um, Basically, to be able to deliver the device and uh, for, for business before the R&D of the blockchain was finished, uh, we actually built the device without the blockchain in mind. We had the, the, the R&D of the blockchain happening on the side and <clears throat> it's not finished yet, but we just prepared the field, uh, on the device to be able to run, uh, the, the blockchain part, the decentralized part. So basically, we prepared the field on the device and on the architecture of the device uh, to be able to accept that, to accept that decentralized part, uh, parallel processing and everything. So so that was the hard part in the beginning, but now it, it does not create any hurdle uh, in our processes.
0: And uh, the device itself, let's just, uh, I think it's on, you mentioned some of the details, 512... Gigabyte SSD, which seems kind of large. Uh, are you also looking to manage? Because you mentioned one of the use cases is things like video streaming and stuff. Is that to handle some of that? Or I don't know, 512 gigabytes seems quite large for a, a device um, that is mostly sort of processing information back and forth.
1: Not really, because when you will have an, an app that will live on the device that is called storage. It will, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will use, I know stores, it yeah. will use 256 uh, gigabytes of it. Or you have SIA, if you have SIA, uh, that actually I was, uh, yesterday, uh, in a meeting with the, with the, um, uh, Zach from SIA and, uh, and their new, uh, person that were deals with the partnerships. There will be an app that will live on top of the devices and can be managed in terms of quantity of the, of the storage that will be uh, uh made available for for uh, the CR marketplace so basically we um pumped up the device to be able to do its job as a node of the infrastructure
0: okay can, can i just <laughs> check something there because as far as i remember storage is one of the networks that uh gives you tokens for access to storage space exactly is that right am i right there exactly so are you actually using that as a revenue stream as well (laughs) absolutely absolutely ah okay the
1: owners of the device will be able to make money
0: out of renting their storage their bandwidth and their processing power so that old um phrase about making money as you sleep well i mean hotels do that anyway but they're, <laughs> they're making extra money as people sleep. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And we okay, interesting. And, <laughs>
1: and, and, and we are creating this 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 new infrastructure that everyone will be using to run their businesses in a reliable manner because those devices will be running 24/7. Okay.
0: cool. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you've already said that I guess the next the current big plan is Installing several hundred devices around France and Morocco, which is enough work, I guess, for a small team to be getting on with. And then you also said that after this, I mean, the future use cases, you're still sort of sort of uh, figuring out. So we've got short term to very long term. But in the medium term, is there anything you're planning next on the roadmap? Um,
1: We have many things that we need to decide for. uh, But right now, it's everything is about B D business development uh we are signing several contracts we have uh in our pipe uh, many uh, tens of thousands of devices uh, to be to be signed uh, with the, some of the largest hotels hotel groups and chains um so this is this actually our priority in the short and medium term and the more devices out there the more value we pour into the token and the more value we pour into the token the 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 biggest the value of the ecosystem is
0: and um how how is the uh because i always wonder when a lot of blockchain companies and projects tend to do this foundation setup uh foundation i mean in in english anyway although it sounds like it might be a french word originally i'm not sure um means something sort of specific like a a not-for-profit uh foundation and you already uh, mentioned that there's aspects of the, the the business model that operate on that fundamental. But, um, I mean, some of the other aspects you've spoken about definitely sound more like a for-profit business. So do you have two different, do you have the non-profit foundation and a for-profit business? Or is it still a bit unclear? No,
1: no, no. We don't have, uh, uh, actually, what's, what's happening? We have a, a for-profit business but it belongs to the foundation. Okay. Um, so, right. so, so actually there is no money that goes to anyone, uh, uh, any person, any physical person uh, out of the activity of the, of the foundation and its subsidiaries. Uh, so, so what's happening is that the operating company works uh, being governed by the foundation and the foundation's goal is to only grow the ecosystem
0: um and i suppose just to recap apart from yourself uh and the other people you mentioned uh you what 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 who else do you have in your your team i guess you're going to need some hardware people um and you're dealing with a lot of kind of uh, i suppose hospitality is effectively enterprise style business so a lot of business development people um what's the kind of predominant background of most of the team
1: uh, basically a big part of my team uh was from uh, my previous businesses, previous companies, uh, very s- seasoned uh, okay. uh, tech guys. Uh, um, my CTO is uh, one of the greatest CTO I've ever met uh, in my career. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a hardware lead, firm, firmware lead um, that, that uh, works uh, jointly with the hardware guy. Um, and... Uh, and part of that team that I've been with uh in my previous businesses was in my previous business in hospitality our coo uh Dean, mm. was one of our, uh, actually was my first employee in that previous business and he was our best sales uh he grew the business in France Europe APAC uh, and we have very privileged contacts with hotels and property managers around the world so basically mm. yes it's it's the the BD part is very hospitality focused because this is our first our first market. Yeah. Um. Uh.
0: Yeah. But uh, yeah,
1: this is this is the this is how the team looks like.
0: And just uh, finally, so you mentioned the SNPs uh, connection earlier, and Jan is uh, one of your investors and advisors. And I have actually interviewed SNPs in the past last mm-hmm. year. So are you using their uh, their voice process? Yes. Is that the main? aspect of the partnership no it's it's
1: it's uh we we use their technology the this is the the main aspect uh, mm-hmm. so Jan is actually one of our investors uh because he believes a lot uh in the way we're deploying our device and also the whole ecosystem part uh uh with our technology. Um uh but it's it's uh related only to to Jan. It's a, like a personal uh investment but we are we have some very interesting stuff that are brewing with the, some other people on the team uh, at Snips.
0: And that was my interview with Raider from the Kai Foundation. I don't have too much to update you with after last week. I say I've been I was very busy catching up with work on Monday, Tuesday and then sick. So I haven't got much to to really update you on. You can still find my new podcast at theenthusiasticamateur.com. You can still find my new role play game at one day the world ended.com. And you can find many other things that I do, including previous podcasts, show notes, newsletters, writing, etc. at christianchilla.com. Um I'm a little bit behind with getting new articles up, but I do have quite a lot about to come down the line soon. So watch that space. You can also tweet at me at Chris Chinch and find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chris Chinchilla. If you have been, thank you very much for listening.